I'm going to ask AV team if we can pull up those scriptures. Uh, I wanted to change the format of how we do uh, Sundays because I want to get into the Word more. I think that this is a season, uh, I mean, we should always be in the Word, but I believe this is a season more than ever that we need to really uh, align to the Word of God and get into some good teaching. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we started our, our teaching series called Pulse, and uh, it's all about alignment and having your finger on the pulse. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today in that I don't really have notes today. I'm going to kind of just teach from my heart. Is that cool? And we've got our PowerPoint here. And we're going to see what happens. I am prepared. I am planned. I don't really believe in... I believe you can be spontaneous in the things of God. But I think also God anoints preparation uh, because that's where uh, a a spirit of excellence is focused on. So uh, I'm not someone who just kind of just, you know... Uh, hasn't prepared and kind of labeling it as I'm flowing with the Spirit. I am prepped, but I want to try something different today. And so we're, we're doing part two. Let's quickly review. Let's go to the next slide here. Uh, AV team, look for my prompts because I'm going to work closely with you today. Let's review part one. Everyone say part one. Uh, and uh, also what we might do before we, before we kind of jump into this, there was one little thing I forgot in our change of format, and that's I'm going to speak to our host team directly right now. So if you're on the host team, I'm talking to you specifically. Uh, I'm going to get you now to collect those cards from our first-time visitors. So if our first-time visitors can put those cards up, they'll come and collect them right now, and we'll give you a complimentary barista coffee voucher. Awesome. Let's give our host team a round of applause. So let's review part one from last Sunday, uh, this thing called Pulse. Uh, really, it was about a spiritual health check was what we were talking about. And we looked at the barrenness of being spiritually busy or spiritual business, busyness. And a lot of this teaching series is going to have spiritual elements. A lot of it's going to have practical elements as well. Um, But last week we covered four main things, that spiritually driven people or a spiritually driven person, driven as different to someone who's called. So when we talk about the word driven in the context of this teaching series, we're not saying it's a positive thing. In fact, we're saying it's more of a negative thing, right? And we want to look today at, and the next couple of weeks, at putting our finger on the pulse and doing a spiritual health check as to where are we at with these principles and are there ways that we can get more order in our lives? Are we kind of spiritually out of order and do we need to get into more alignment and make some changes? And this is a healthy thing, like like, uh, when it comes to your physical health. If you just kind of go, oh, I'm hope I'm okay, and you never check in with your GP, sometimes you can find out some uh, unfortunate surprises because you weren't proactive. So we want to be proactive today and look at uh, some, some ways that we can spiritually check in and get a check up. And so last week we said uh, that people who are gratified by accomplishment only... Uh, aren't necessarily spiritually healthy, meaning practically you could be all about your status and what you're trying to do outside there in the world and and looking for things to kind of make yourself feel special about yourself because what you're trying to create. We're into goals, we're into dreams, but if, if it's imbalanced, that could be unfruitful. We also talked about that spiritually, how people sometimes are try to be so spiritual to kind of get attention or kind of be seen as so uh, mighty in their faith that they, they focus on being spiritually driven. Um, they over-spiritualize things. They compare themselves. They even criticize people that they're not doing enough. They're not Holy Spirit focused enough. They're not doing enough evangelism. We're not saving the world enough. And look, it's good to be motivated, but sometimes our motivations can swing too far one way and it can become unbalanced and unhealthy. 
Because if you have someone around you that's kind of going on about how accomplished they are spiritually because of what they're doing or what they want to do, and they're comparing themselves and being critical of others around them, Jesus didn't teach that that was the right thing to do. Uh, in fact, Jesus rebuked the Pharisee. He re- rebuked the religious person uh, that was uh, going, going on about how spiritual they were because of what they were doing. Let's be clear on this. Our identity in God does not come by our works. Okay, faith without works is dead, so we're encouraged to get going and do things for God, absolutely, in response to what He's done for us on the cross. But our identity to God is not anchored in our works. Who believes that? Our identity to God is anchored in the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood that He shed on the cross, and for the works of the cross, that we are not bought by our works, but we're bought by the sacrifice of Christ and His perfection. Who believes that? Come on now, that's the truth. That's the Word of God. And so when we get out of balance, it can be dangerous. Even sometimes I think people think religious, religiosity is just people who, have like, who wear big crosses and who, who wear old clothes and sing old hymns. You can have a very religious person in the most contemporary church on planet Earth. If anyone starts to, in a long period of time, hanging around others, comparing themselves and starting to make comments around, they're not doing enough of this, I'm more into it this way, therefore I'm more spiritual, we have to do it this way, we have to do it that way. Can I tell you, you've got to be careful because if you spiritually check in, you think you're more spiritual or you think you're being spiritual, but actually you're being religious. So it's important to understand this. The second thing is when people are preoccupied with symbols of accomplishment, how long they pray for, how often they pray for people, how many people they're getting saved, how often they're going out and evangelizing. Hey, look, that's all good. Should we be motivated to do those things? If we're called to do those things, absolutely. But we shouldn't be looking at those things as notches on our bark and comparing it to someone else who doesn't do those things. Come on now, that's unhealthy. Number three, uncontrolled pursuit of expansion. Now we can talk about this practically. Someone who is a a Christian business person might constantly be consumed day and night, can't sleep because they're trying to expand their business. They're constantly trying to grow. Hey, growth is great. Vision is great. The next level is great. But if it's absolutely consuming you and you're so driven that you're just uh, stressed out, uh, then you're probably pursuing it to kind of getting a sense of identity or status. But also spiritually, you can have an uncontrolled pursuit of expansion. Right Now, I believe in growth, and we believe in seeing people get saved, but it's all about, hey, if we, we need to do this, we need to do more of this, we need to do more of this. It shifts into this drive, into this kind of fleshly push that's master spirituality, and it can become unbalanced. Number four, limited regard for integrity or accountability. We talked about this, going around saying, I can hear from God, therefore I don't really need to get advice from other people, or I don't need, really need to read the scripture, and I can prophesy over all these people, and I don't really have to do it via protocols, because that's control. I don't need to submit that to a leader to make sure that I'm not prophesying something that's off or just out of my soul realm or out of my flesh. Well, no. The Bible clearly says that if you're going to move in the prophetic, you need to make sure you're doing it also with good character, and that we shouldn't just be fixated or absolutely obsessed with our gift and completely not focusing on the character that we're using as a vehicle to actually release that gift. Who believes that? And so do we believe in freedom? Do we believe in people being activated in the Holy Spirit? Do we believe in people being raised up in the things of God? Absolutely. But there are biblical principles that say, hey, God actually doesn't say you can just go off and do whatever you want. Right? Do you know the kingdom of God is not a democracy, church? There's a first ouchie point, right? It's not a democracy. There's a kingdom. Everyone say kingdom, Kingdom. which means there are levels of authority. If you look at old school kingdoms like the Queen Elizabeth, we had the Commonwealth Games recently. They have dukes and lords and duchesses and ladies and queens and princesses, right? And then they have political different offices and levels of authority. 
And, uh, but obviously in the democracy, there's voting and you can vote people in and out. When it comes to the kingdom of God, you know, Jesus says he is the king of kings, which means we all actually have an identity as being our personal king. We have a level of dominion and authority in our own identity in Christ. But every, if we're a king of kings, we need to learn to come under kingship and different levels of authority. Can I tell you that your own personal authority and how far your level of authority in Christ will go will be dictated by the level that you can actually submit to other levels of authority. Come on now. So many times people are trying to shift into a new level of authority spiritually, but they're doing it by trying to self-appoint their own authority. And actually, they become dysfunctional. Everyone say self-appointed. Self-appointed authority is not biblical. In fact, it's dangerous. Lucifer was a classic example where he self-appointed his own authority and then decided to steal a third of God's army to worship him because he wanted the attention. The motive on the surface might have seemed great. He wanted to do more. He wanted to, to be more, but he actually was very selfish in his agenda. And so what are we, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because this is a season where more and more we want to bring teaching, where we want to make sure that we are, as we move forward as a church, we're building a healthy church. And we believe that sometimes people can get a little bit off track, okay? And if we kind of just don't bring any teaching that helps them get back on track, the more that they get off track, uh, it can, can breed unhealth, toxic beliefs, behaviors within a church community that actually can steal fruit, destroy fruit, and have an impact negatively. Everyone say checking in. We're checking in. So when we have a limited regard for integrity or accountability, it actually means we have a limited regard for the design that God biblically has given us of how we shift our own personal authority by coming into submission and recognizing other levels of authority that are God-appointed and God-anointed and godly-established authority. So your authority will actually shift to new levels when you honor, when you understand and recognize that there is established, appointed authority around your life. Not just in church, but in family, in schools, in universities, in the government. Come on now, when we learn to honor and understand. Now, the leaders that you come under may not be perfect. In fact, sometimes some leaders may not be very nice in the workplace, whatever it is. But can I tell you, you leave that to God. You leave that to God and you just follow the biblical principle around making sure you understand that if you honor levels of appointed authority around you and you work as best as you can to unite and work with people, unless they're doing something incredibly unethical or, or illegal, that's different, right? But just because someone annoys you or someone says a comment or what have you, it's important. I had a conversation with someone this week and I was so glad when I got off the phone from them because they had a little bit of a frustration with someone and they did the right biblical thing. They didn't go and talk to someone else about it and kind of go, oh, can I just get this off my chest? No. Because that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? But it's actually unbiblical because when you have an issue with a brother or sister in God, whether they're in the marketplace, okay, uh, whether they're at church here, whether they're in your family, the Bible clearly says to go and speak to that brother and sister one-on-one -on -one first. Share with them where you're at. Give them an opportunity. Sometimes wisdom would say, just give it to God and get over it, right? But if it's kind of annoying you and bugging you, you know it's affecting you, then the Bible says, go to that person and talk to them first. Don't fall into the temptation of, oh, I just don't find that they're approachable. So I'm going to use that the excuse to go and have a whinge to my mate because that's more comfortable for me. Great, it's more, com it's more comfortable for you, but guess what? It's unbiblical. 
know about you, but I put... I need to change my voice back. Oh, it's worried then for a second. I don't know about you, but more comfortable versus unbiblical. Mm, which way do you think the Holy Spirit wants you to swing the pendulum? Not based on what's more comfortable. And so having a limited regard for integrity or accountability, you know, um, talking about your leaders behind their back and masking that as, I'm just getting off my chest. Or talking about just doesn't have to even have to be a leader. It could be just someone that you're annoyed with, right? So this person called me and had a chat. And can I just say, they were awesome. Because they didn't speak to anyone else. They had a chat to me and said, look, I'm feeling this way. And this person uh, that, you know, is kind of underneath my leadership that they, were, that they were annoyed with. And so in this instance, they didn't feel comfortable speaking to that person. And so they didn't do the unbiblical thing and, 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 and go and uh, then talk to someone else. No, they came to someone that actually is mature and understands that everyone has strengths and weaknesses and was able to be a filter to hear that person, allow them to vent, get it off their chest, but made sure we followed biblical protocol. And so talking to this person, asked a couple of questions, told them I understood. We reflected on the good things of this person. We reflected on how not everyone has uh, strengths. Sometimes they have weaknesses. And just at the end of the conversation, this person just felt so much better. And it was good. Oh, good. And I just said, hey, if ever that happens again, you know, uh, and obviously biblically is to go and speak to that person. If you don't feel comfortable, come and see me because I'm, I'm, I'm over that person, so that's appropriate. And let, let, me, let me say this to you. It's okay to do that. Let me, let me create a safe net. You can come and do that. And this person just said, oh, I feel so much better. And can I tell you, the fruit that comes from that is that it's protection. Uh, I, I protected the reputation of the person they were talking about, they were frustrated with. And I was doing everything that was biblical, but the fruitfulness that comes from that is good. When you don't follow that biblical principle, can I tell you, and you kind of get out of this place of integrity, uh, and you can justify with all the different excuses, it creates issues. Because you sow your offense into the other person's heart, and that person takes on that offense, and then you kind of wash it together like in your soul wa washing rooms, and then it kind of starts to fester and spread like suds in a washing machine. And then you can kind of share it with some other person. And then you can have five or six people that are offended with something, and the person that they're offended with doesn't even know. The Bible says get things out into the light so that the enemy can't have a play with it. When you don't follow the biblical principle, you're doing directly the opposite. You're keeping everything in the dark and you're letting it go into a little corner with people going around having a picnic with it and it festers. And the mold starts to grow up the wall. And then you're sitting in the corner together going, yeah, it doesn't really smell good or look good here at all. And nothing really breaks through. And it all comes down to because you or they felt more comfortable to not go and talk to the person that they had an issue with. Now, I know if sometimes the person that you have an issue with is a pastor, or the person you have an issue with is your boss, or the person you have an issue with is your father, right? Maybe they have a very clear authority level. Well, can I say this to you? If you just bring it in humility, right? I say, leave honor on the table, right? I would say nine times out of ten, it'll go well, okay? And if it doesn't go well, guess what? God will honor you because you followed the biblical principle in the long run. He'll honor you. Everyone say amen. amen. All right, let's go. That was a review of part one. We can finish now. No, come on. Let's go to the next slide. So I want to talk about driven versus called. Everyone say called. Driven versus called. 
the differences in beliefs and behaviors of driven, spiritually driven people versus spiritually called people. Okay, so if you're still trying to work it out, obviously you want to be spiritually called, not spiritually driven. All right, let's have a look at the next slide. Okay, so we're going to look at this second part today. Is we're going to look at a portrait of a driven man, an example in, in, Bible, in the Bible of a driven man, King Saul. Let's have a look at 1 Samuel 9, 1 to 2. There was a man of Benjamin, a mighty man of power. They're talking about Saul. He had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. It was so funny, I was reading this thinking, that's completely the opposite to me. Because from my uh, shoulders up, I'm probably the shortest of most people. He had a very big, long torso, right? And this guy was really uh, good looking. In fact, let's have a look at the next slide. King Saul was the first king over Israel, and he had three unearned, everyone say unearned, characteristics, kind of like gifts that he was just given. That could have been a great asset or a serious liability. He had wealth, he had a very attractive appearance, and he had a well-developed body, okay? And he was also very good with his words. So what this meant, because of his gifts, everyone say gifts. Because of his gifts, he was able to elevate himself quickly. His gifts opened doors for him. This is why last week we talked about that sometimes when we need a spiritual health check, if we're too obsessed about our spiritual gifts, but not about our spiritual character, how I, because our gifts will open doors, but our gifts will not sustain us. Our character will sustain us. And so sometimes we can become out of whack or out of order spiritually when we're so focused on how much we're prophesying, we're so focused on how much we're preaching the gospel, we're so focused on how much we're doing for God because of our gift, or we're praying for people, or we're doing this. That's all great. But if we do that and our character actually is not developing and growing, and maybe we're too prideful to think, well, maybe do I need to even grow my character? No, because I'm already, oh, I'm fantastic in, in Jesus, and I, everything's good, because I'm really spiritual, I'm doing all this stuff. Actually, it can be a detriment to your growth, and it can create issues. Who believes that? And so this guy had lots of gifts. Let's have a look at the next slide. And those gifts opened doors. No doubt these characteristics or gifts are in part what helped him to rise to power. He was gift focused. He became the king. He stood out as the obvious kind of choice. But he let his drivenness get the better of him. He became incensed with hunger for control and power. Can I say this? Not everyone in leadership is the people who get uh, fixated on power and control. In fact, a lot of times it's just regular folk, right? They can get obsessed with control and power in relationships I'm talking about. Not in communities or families, but even just in one-on-one relationships. He had to win battles, he had to conquer cities, he had to expand his kingdom, but he became driven. He became so focused that his identity was about what he was doing and what he was achieving and how much more he was achieving and how amazing he was. And his pursuit of all the things that he was doing was going on and on and on and it was further getting away from his character development. Let's have a look at the next one. And when he faced a battle with the Philistines and waited at Gilgal for Samuel, everyone say Samuel, the prophet to come and offer the necessary sacrifices, he grew impatient because the man of God, the appointed authority, come on now, the appointed authority in his life, I'm going to say that two more times to hammer this in, the appointed authority, the established authority, the anointed authority in that season in his life didn't do things 
the way he liked it to be done. Didn't do it on his time. Didn't do it when he wanted it. He grew impatient because the man of God didn't arrive on time. So Saul thought his timetable was being compromised. My agenda, my vision, my goals. This man of God that I'm supposed to submit to, to take advice from, the prophet of God. Well, he's not doing it in my timing, so I'm going to do it in my own timing. Saul thought his timetable was being compromised. Samuel wasn't confirming to his personal goals. So he took matters into his own hands. In fact, let's read it the other way. Samuel was probably not only not confirming his personal goals, but Samuel was probably intentionally testing him. Because he probably, as the man of God who was appointed over Samuel, probably saw the character deficiencies and wanted to test, will this guy hang on and wait and submit to authority? Is he just going to go off and do his own thing? And activate that very clear independent spirit. So he took matters into his own hands and disobeyed the commandment of God and performed the sacrifice himself. Self-appointed authority. You should see Pastor Thomas is looking at me like, oh my goodness, where is this going? Self-appointed authority. It feels good because it gives you a sense of control. It gives you a sense of, I'm in charge of my own life. Now, at the end of the day, we actually are in a way, okay? Uh, you, you make your choices, God's about free will. But what we've got to understand is, is that there are very clear seasons where you will be tested. You'll be tested. And can I tell you, if you pass the test, you graduate to the next level. If you pass the test of God watching and seeing, are you okay? It may be a bit uncomfortable. It may be a bit annoying. In fact, it may be really frustrating. But are you okay with just flowing with the appointed leadership in your life? Are you okay with just kind of maybe laying down your own very strong opinions and just flowing, just uniting, just working with people? Are you okay just to kind of maybe lay things down and just honor God with whatever that appointed leadership is and just trust God? Or do you conveniently convince yourself that, no, this guy can't hear from God, this isn't cool, you know, I've got my vision, I've got my goals going for, I can't hesitate, can't stop, can't, can't wait any longer. This is now, it's now or never. This gate doesn't open, this door doesn't open, this wall doesn't open, it's never going to happen. I need to push this over and I need to walk through. And so I'm going to not honour this appointed authority, whatever level it is, whether it's the word of God, whether it's someone in my life that's clearly appointed to kind of be the voice of wisdom, and I'm going to ignore it, and I'm going to push on through because I want what I want. I think in those moments, you don't realize, but it's a test. If you pass the test, you actually shift, you graduate to a new level of your own personal authority. When you don't pass the test, guess what? You go into a season when you actually have to be tested again. You repeat that level spiritually. 
Saul thought his time debt was being compromised. Samuel wasn't conf- confirming to his own personal goals, so he took matters into his own hands and disobeyed the commandment of God and performed the sacrifice himself. Let's have a look at the next one. So from this time on, Saul saw it all slip out of his hands. Funny that. He lost God's favor and gained his wrath. Ouch. God replaced him with a new king. Ooh. Hey, you know what? We believe in the grace of God. We believe in the love of God. And we know there's always, always second chances. Always. Absolutely. But I don't know about you, but if I just stop for a moment, I think, now, do I want to keep having to ask God for a second chance just by recognizing His grace and repenting and going to Him? Or do I want to kind of pass the test and not have to ask for a second chance and actually graduate to the next level of my spiritual authority? So what we're doing here is we're having respect for grace. See, if grace is used as greasy grace, that I'm just always using the grace. Give me grace. Give me grace. I stepped up it. I stuffed up. Give me the grace. I need the grace, grace, grace. I stay at the same level every week, every month, every year spiritually, because I need the grace. It's so greasy grace. Slide. Ooh, it's so easy. It's easy. It's easy, slimy, slimy, greasy grace. I asked for it left and right. Oh, yeah, it's all, it's all over my face. Greasy, greasy grace. (laughs) Ah, dear. You know what? Greasy grace is just, you're looking at grace as it's the number one answer. No, the number one answer is when you stuff up, You go, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you allow me. You reach down, you grab hold of me, you pick me up, you dust me off, you wipe me clean, you set me free again. And at that moment, I want to respond to God's grace by saying, God, I want to glorify you now, and I want to step up, and I want to obey, and I want to submit to your word, I want to follow your principles, and I want to shift to this next level. And on that next level, you might need some grace. I think every level, every season, you need some grace. Because we don't, we're not perfect, we stuff up. But can I tell you, if you're trapped in a spiritual level because you're just sliding on greasy grace and you're never actually just coming to that place of going, I need to respond to this grace by stepping up and making some different choices, then you'll always be frustrated and disappointed with your walk with God. God will never leave you or forsake you. He'll always love you. You'll have salvation and eternal life. But I'm telling you, you're going to get frustrated because God has more for you than just the one level. Okay, let's look at the next level. Next slide. Driven people often project a bravado of confidence as they forge ahead with their achievement-orientated life plan. But often, at the moment when it is least expected, adversities and obstructions conspire and there can be personal collapse. Called people, on the other hand, possess strength from within, a quality of perseverance and power that are impervious to the blows from without. Because... They follow God's principles. Okay, let's have a look at this next slide. We're getting something from this so far. Like Saul, someone who is driven spiritually will be an example of a dysfunctional disciple. Another example is Judas. Judas was a clear example of a dysfunctional disciple. And one of the ways that we learn is not just learning what we should do, but also learning by examples of what not to do. We can learn from Judas. We can learn from Saul. But we can also learn what to do by looking at some other examples. 
Okay, let's, let's bring the intensity up a little bit. Is that okay? Let's have a look at this next slide. Every leader will have to lead a dysfunctional disciple. It's a test of leadership. I'm not going to tell you right now if I think I'm leading any dysfunctional disciples. That's between me and God. Amen. But I think every leader, whoever you are, and I'm not just talking about church, if you're going to lead in, in the marketplace, if you're going to lead at home, Wherever you're going to lead, you're going to have to lead. And when we talk about disciple, I know that's a very spiritual, biblical Christian thing. But a disciple is someone who wants to grow and change behavior. It's about maturing. So in the family, there is discipleship. Children are being discipled by their parents. Come on now. In the marketplace, people are being uh, you know, challenged to refine their skills, to, to, to perform, to get certain results. Now, we know that the kingdom isn't all about performance. The kingdom is very much about grace. But we understand that God wants fruitfulness. He wants results in our lives. So it is about applying principles and being more skilled as a disciple in Christ. But I don't want to obsess on the word performance. But in the marketplace, we get discipled as well. And they're in dysfunctional disciples. As a leader, whatever area of life you have to lead, you will have to lead dysfunctional disciples. Judas is a great example. So let's go through this little exercise. That should be was, the first word there, but it's What? Okay, so let's just go with was. Was Jesus a perfect leader without fault? It's not a trick question. Was he a perfect leader without fault? Good, he was. Everyone say yes. yes. Was there anything that Jesus' disciples could have criticized about Jesus? No, because he was a perfect leader. We're going somewhere with this in a minute. Just hang on. If Jesus was so perfect... oh. We got the answer right. I kind of guessed what your answer was. If Jesus was so perfect, why did Judas criticize Jesus and bit by bit by bit betray him? Think about it. If Jesus was so perfect, we're going somewhere with this. If he was so perfect, because he was, why would Judas have criticized him and why would Judas have actually betrayed him? Because of the dysfunction inside Judas. Let me highlight this. A lot of people go, and again, we're not just talking about church, we're talking about church, we're talking about family, we're talking about life, we're talking about university, we're talking about work. There's all different places where you have to come under a leader, right? What we've got to understand is it's so easy to look for something to criticize about a leader, and we use that as the justification for going around and criticizing them. And we think it's them. It's their fault. They're the reason. I'm justified talking about it with other people because it's their weakness. But guess what? We have a perfect biblical example where Jesus was a perfect leader. He was that without fault. And yet Judas still criticized him and betrayed him. So watch this. Criticism of your leaders is not because of your leaders. Now, I'm not saying that leaders in your life won't have issues, but spiritually, as a man or woman of God, when you come to a place where there's something that you don't like, your first responsibility, everyone say first, your first responsibility is to give it to God and actually say, God, I want to give this person grace or I'm frustrated right now. What's the biblical principle? I want to go and talk to this person because that's biblical or talk to someone above them because that's biblical if I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to go because the dysfunction 
that sets in is when you start to go and talk about it behind other people and conspire against them and get other people on board with the offense and you justify it in the name of, I'm just kind of sharing how I feel, but it actually activates spiritual dysfunction within you because it's unbiblical. You can look me in the eye with as much intensity as you want, but I can tell you, you can't convince me that it's not biblical or you can't convince me that it's biblical, sorry. It's unbiblical. It's not of God to do that. It is a test. And it's clear here that what this highlights is God actually wants you to take an opportunity to deal with the dysfunction within you. When you get frustrated or annoyed, you've got to first focus on, well, what is it about me that I need to deal with about me first? It's the whole splinter in the eye thing. Come on now. Jesus says, stop looking at the log. Look at the splinter in your... Well, it's the other way around, right? got that wrong so don't focus on the little thing that's annoying you or they've said it the wrong way or their tone was a bit eh, or they didn't give you a hug or they didn't speak to you or they didn't um, recognize what you did or didn't do no focus on the log in your own eye first because that's healthy that's healthy Judas looked for ways he could twist and criticize the motives and the choices and the actions of Jesus, and Jesus was perfect. So it was the dysfunction in the disciple. It was something in his heart. Was it pride? Absolutely. Was there an off agenda? And can I tell you that you're going to have sometimes moments in your life where you have to process similar feelings, and you're going to have to do it with a leader that's imperfect. So guess how much more frustrating that's going to be? The point is this. It doesn't matter how perfect your leader is. It doesn't matter if you have the best leader in the world, at the workplace, at uni, in church. It doesn't matter if you have the best. You're going to have moments where you're going to be tested with this. But Judas twisted and criticized the motives and choices and actions of Judas to do something, to justify his agenda And to justify his own self-appointed authority. He's self-appointed authority. He got out of order. He went and conspired and organized for um, the people to come and to arrest Jesus. He conspired and he was doing it for money. And you know what the funny thing is? Jesus knew what was going on. He discerned. He even eyeballed him and said, hey. He had a moment. He had a moment to biblically align, to say, hey, you know what, Jesus, I need to have a heart-to-heart because I'm feeling this way and I'm really frustrated. But he didn't. He just let it unravel. This is the key moving forward. For healthy churches, for healthy Christians, for healthy discipleship, you are never justified criticizing a leader, criticizing an appointed authority, You're never justified if you haven't yet gone and spoken to them one-on-one about it. And if you have, and then something else has gone on that's further frustrated you, you have to still start and go back and speak to that person. Give them an opportunity, whoever it is. And that's also for the family unit. If there's frustration in the family unit right now in this place, then you need to go and speak and stop kind of dancing around and playing chess with each other because that's spiritually dysfunctional. 
And you can pray all you want, but keep operating in spiritual dysfunction, and the fruit will not taste good. Come on. It's time to mature. Next one. Spiritual checkup. Now, you probably can't read this. I did this on purpose. I kind of made it look like a, like a conditions thing, right? <laughs> and I'm needing glasses more and more these days. So I'm going to go over here. Here we go. Dysfunctionally driven disciple. Are we ready? Kind of like a checklist of looking at what are the things, what are the signs that maybe, just maybe, there's some dysfunctional discipleship going on in your world. Number one. Dysfunctionally driven disciple, independent spirit, do it their way, will label protocol, principles, or boundaries as control. Which actually, ironically, is their attempt to stay in control themselves because they don't like submitting to an appointed authority. Everyone say, whoa. Whoa. Let's have our, our eyes open here. And biblical principle would say, if... We go through this, and you know there's someone in your world. You may not be align, aligning to these dysfunctions, but there may be someone in your It's your responsibility to politely, in love, call them out on it. Because maybe, just maybe, you've been the person that's been kind of cheering them on. You've been deceived, thinking, this is, this is, this is right. You need to call them out on it, because if, they, if someone stays in this place spiritually, the fruit's never good. I see it all the time. It's again not about just church. Can I just tell you, all the teaching we do here, we don't just make disciples for church, we make disciples for life. This is about families, this is about workplace, this is about parents related to children, children related to parents, everything. Number two, they self-appoint their own authority in situations to get what they want. God told me this. I had this dream. I had this vision. But won't want to mix that with seeking wise counsel or following wise counsel because they actually just want to do what they want to do, but it is masked as God told me this. Now, we believe in visions, we believe in dreams, we believe in he- people hearing prophetic words, but that alone by itself is dangerous if you allow that to be the only way that you hear God. You need to get confirmation. Scripture, wise counsel, there's all different things. We touched on that last Sunday. And if If you're not aligning to that belief, guess what? Your belief is unbiblical. It's dysfunctional. Whether you think it's nice, it's it's not biblical. Number three, they don't trust authority figures because actually, here we go, they don't trust themselves much because they aren't really honest or transparent most of the time themselves in life with other people. They wear masks. They're two-faced at times. They'll go, hi, nice to see you. And then the car on the way home, they're talking about you in a negative way. And it's, I mean, we have moments every now and then where we all probably do that once or twice, but someone's repeatedly doing that in life. Can I tell you? It means they're not really transparent. They know they're not really transparent. Therefore, they don't really trust themselves. They don't trust their own word. And therefore, let's have a look at this. Because they aren't really honest or transparent most of the time themselves, so they believe the people around them are just as dishonest or not trustworthy. Their perception of themselves distorts their perception of those God has positioned around them to help. So these people, because they kind of are two-faced and kind of get through life surviving that way, because of whatever reason, it's a dysfunction that's developed in their walk or in their life, however long they've known Jesus. They don't really trust themselves because they see that the way that they survive is they, they lie, they distort, they wear masks, they smile at people, but then they talk about them behind their butts, and it becomes a habit. So they actually think that most people around them do the same thing. So they can't really trust a leader because they're thinking, oh, 
this person's just saying that. They don't really like me. And so they have issues even partnering with good appointed authority in their life. Number four, more loyal. They're more loyal to their peers who tell them what they want to hear than loyal to leaders or mentors in their life who will challenge them and correct them. Number five, they are prideful. They think they know better, think that the way that they see it is right, aren't really open to teaching or correction, but they think they are. That's the deception. They think they're teachable. Maybe because they love watching Revelation on something on the internet in London, that a guy's just preaching for it. And they go on about, oh, I love this message, but they won't submit under the local church message because that person who's preaching actually probably really knows what's going on in their world. Everyone say, ouch. So they're hungry for information, but don't want to hear advice. They want to be the teacher, not the student. Number six, to justify and cement their self-appointed authority, they will be critical of, of leaders and will gossip or sow seeds of doubt about how things are done to position themselves as more spiritual or the expert. I put all the expert in because this is happening in the workplace. They will look for things to criticize. They don't really have a heart for the greater good. They don't really have a heart for the vision. They'll make out that they do, but they don't really have a heart for the vision. They don't really have a heart for the team. They don't really have a heart for the church. They have a heart more for their own agenda and to look spiritual. They don't really have a heart for the greater good. More about their agenda. They create drama and confusion where they go by talking to this person and then this person and getting lots of people involved, but their story slightly changes to create confusion. So now... Uh, so no one really is clear about what is really going on. They love the attention and the drama centered on them. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, oh, gee, this is a bit negative. Well, actually, it's positive. Because what I'm doing is I'm clearly highlighting the key symptoms of spiritual dysfunction. I'm making it so crystal clear to positively help you to identify, is there anything in that, is anything of that going on in your world? And if there is, then you need to have a conversation with God about it. This is healthy, church. This is positive. Okay, next one. A call to fast. Now, I'm actually encouraging people, this is, a, I suppose, a part of the solution. If you kind of think you need to break through in some of this, then... I'm, I don't want to just dish up the problem today. I want to give you a solution. Is that okay? So a call to fast. F in fast. First, there is an intense battle for first place in your life. Your agenda or God's agenda. So you need to fast. You've got dysfunction. You're taking out the heavy artillery in this never-ending battle. You need to fast if you've got some level of dysfunction going on. And it may not just be in your world. It may be around you. Maybe going on somewhere. So fast. Who believes in fasting? Good. Are we still all here? All right, A, abstaining, cleansing your body of needs symbolizes cleansing your spirit of impurities. You probably noticed it hurts. So abstain from food or abstain from social media. Fast. S, set apart. I know this is different. I know it's weird. That's not the point. But remember, if you're not drawing closer to God, this is just empty religion. So set yourself apart. Hang out with God. So, you know, you're really bringing a shift. My agenda or God's agenda. I need to kind of clean up some. I need to get in order here. I need to fast. Uh, 
say to know some things, put them off, have some time with God, and T, test. God wants us all to grow. We must grow, but how do we grow is optional. We can grow by the world's tests, or we can test ourselves. So it's a test to really say, hey, God, I want to humble myself. I want to fast. I want to break through. You might be fasting for someone else. Cool? Okay, next slide. Called, not driven. We're still all right? We're still awake? Good. Finishing up soon. Called, not driven. So let's now look at what being called is. The disciples weren't driven, but they were called. What is the difference in the called and the driven? So Mary, the mother of Jesus, was called. And Mary treasured up all these things and potted them in her heart. She was called. She had balance. She had measured motives. She wasn't led by pride. Caleb, I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, submitting. Stephen, first Christian martyr, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit of God, charged up in the Holy Spirit, getting out of the flesh. What about John the Baptist? Now, he was the direct opposite of Saul. Saul was very driven. John was very called. How do we know this? Because Saul saw David coming on strong to be the new king and he reacted in violence. He didn't like the idea of his sense of control being challenged. A lot of times when we're spiritually driven, we don't like authority. And we don't particularly like it when authority maybe challenges us. We don't like it when authority maybe says, hey, maybe there's a bit of spiritual dysfunction going on. Right? We don't like that. Because it means that the way I'm doing things, it's being challenged. Like Saul, he was doing things. And David was coming in, and he was kind of going to be the appointed, anointed leader. And, and Saul was like, no, I need to hang on to my control. And so the response becomes quite violent. Now, we're obviously talking about intense physical violence here in this story. But sometimes when people are spiritually dysfunctional, they kind of on the inside violently react to spiritual authority. I don't like it. Make up all these excuses. John was okay with acknowledging, though. So John the Baptist was okay acknowledging appointed leadership he didn't need to be the teacher the whole time he was okay to be the student when jesus came and people said but john aren't you the messiah aren't you the one that we we worship he said no i step aside because i everyone in life i have to step aside so i have a level of authority here obviously but guess what there are times when i have to step aside because there is higher appointed authority in this house sometimes. We have Greg and Julie Bailey who are our apostolic oversight. They have higher appointed authority spiritually in the kingdom than I do. And I honor that and I respect that. Greg and Julie have higher appointed authority in the kingdom of God over them. Come on, we're a tribe here. Look at the Old Testament, we're all in tribes. Don't be deceived. The kingdom of God is not little lone rangers because we watch internet preaching. And we're, we're, we like Christian speaker pages. No, God's called you here because this is a tribe and there's particular teaching and anointing and opportunities to grow in this season that you're called to. If you feel called to here, that's here. Now, you, when you first came here, you went, oh, I love it here forever. Woo. And then maybe a message came that kind of challenged you. How do you respond to that? Oh, I don't like this. Maybe I'm not called to be here. Next slide. Called, not driven. Number one, three things about called people versus driven people. Number one, called people understand stewardship. Let's have a look at this scripture. Thanks, AV team. Next slide. Luke 16, 10. If you are faithful in little things, 
you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Right now, how you relate to your local church is a part of your stewardship. How you walk relationally, not just with Jesus Christ, but how you walk relationally with Sarah and I. Come on now. How you walk relationally with us. If you're talking about us behind our backs, guess what? You're not being faithful with a little. Now, I'm not saying that because I sense that. I'm just putting that out there. If you're talking about your boss, the marketplace, then you're not being faithful a little. God is not going to give you more. He's going to wait for you to pass the test where you have to correct yourself. Come on. Call people understand stewardship. That you don't own your life, you don't own the season that you're in. God does, and God has positioned you, and He wants you to steward it. He wants you to do it well. Next one. Call people know who they are. They're not trying all this stuff to try to make out how spiritual they are. They know who they are. They, they can just chill out. Okay, let's have a look at this next slide here. Scripture here. Isaiah 43, 1 to 5. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Don't try so hard to make out how spiritual you are. I've called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Fear not, for I am with you. You're already His. I'm going to talk about something a bit intense right now, just for a moment. I'm going to ask the, uh, just the instrumentalists to come as we prepare to close. There's a very real thing, and I, I, look, to be honest with you, I don't really like talking about this, what I'm about to talk about. I don't like talking about it, but I'm going to go there. Oh, I don't like talking about it, but I'm going to go there. Thomas and Sadie, I don't like talking about this, but I'm going to go there. Is it all right? Yeah, go there. This, this thing about call people know. Let's go back to the previous slide. Is that okay, ABT? Previous slide. Call people know who they are. Spiritually driven people, they actually self-appoint themselves. We've covered that. And so they're actually walking an identity that's not, not really actually God-anointed. So they start to move into their own strength, strive, trying to show people. And the one thing I hate talking about, but it's actually a very real thing, we very rarely see it happen here, but it happens in churches, it happens in the body of Christ, and it's happened for years throughout the history of the church. Are you ready? Charismatic witchcraft. I hate talking about it. What is charismatic witchcraft? The Bible says, be wary of the enemy outside, but also be wary of the enemy within your own ranks. Charismatic witchcraft is when someone self-appoints their authority, they make out that they know so much, they're so discerning that they would say, you know what, I think we really need to pray for the leaders. In fact, I think they're really struggling. They really need help. So let's have a prayer meeting at a house. Let's really pray for them. They don't talk to any of the leaders about it. They think that what they're doing is so spiritual. But it's so prideful. Because they're going off and doing something that's absolutely out of order in the kingdom of God. Is there accountability where if you think a leader kind of needs to be corrected, then you go and talk to another leader about it? You don't self-appoint your authority and have a little prayer meeting in your living room with your peers and go, you know what, we need to pray for the leaders. Now, there are times when you want to pray for, for a leader. That's great. 
pray for your leaders, pray for your family, great. But when you gather around and you mask an agenda that's about love, but it's actually about, well, we think the leaders aren't doing a great job, it's critical spirit, and we're going to pray for them to kind of get it right. Can I tell you right now, heart to heart, that is totally off and is completely unbiblical. I'm just calling out. Because it's not healthy. You can justify it all you want, but it's not healthy. There are ways the Bible teaches that you deal with things, and that's not the way you do it. It's called charismatic witchcraft, which means it's under the guise of being charismatic. It's under the guise of being Christian. It's under the guise of being led by the Holy Spirit. But it's actually appointing your authority spiritually in the spiritual realm. As in, oh, they just don't understand or seem to see it the way I do. So we need to pray for them. So off. So not healthy. So unbiblical. Be careful that you don't get caught up in someone trying to encourage you to be involved in that. Praying out of your soulish realm, which is actually coming from an agenda of wanting to self-appoint yourself as the expert. Healthy churches like this one, we have so many levels of accountability. If I scratch my foot the wrong way, I'm going to hear about it. With our beautiful network, our Christian international family, if I go and minister another church, that pastor, that church is given a whole form and they have to feed back to my accountability partner on what was my manners like, what was my word like, what was my balance between the spirit and the scriptures like, um, what was my agenda around a love offering. Come on. Good accountability. So when we have someone that tries to self-appoint and say, oh, you know, I think Pastor Brad isn't quite hearing from God. You know, maybe this vision isn't really from God. Can I just tell you, that's off. It's spiritually dysfunctional. There may be some people here and you're new and you're kind of hearing this all the first time. Well, can I tell you, you're blessed hearing this because there's some people who walk with Jesus for years and never hear this teaching and get caught off by people who position themselves as people who are so much more knowledgeable of things of God because they've been raised as a Christian and get carted off on sideways tracks, get unplugged from a local church that God had appointed them to be in because there was anointing and a teaching and something on the leaders for them in that season to flourish and to raise up into that level and break out into whatever they were called to, but their destiny gets aborted. Because they get taken out by a wolf in sheep's clothing. Last point, number three. Called people understand commitment and loyalty. It's an absolute honor. For those of you who don't know, beautiful Jenny and Wayne Wall, their little grandson Patrick, unfortunately passed away. And we had the honor to dedicate him to God the day before he passed away and he's in the hospital room the family's around some are Christian some aren't and he's just sitting up their beautiful blue eyes opened 
And as I lay hands on him, dedicated him, he had such a beautiful peace about him. And his look and his eyes were literally saying to the whole family, you know what, guys, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. There was such a peace. And so we prayed for him, we dedicated him. And then the next week, we had the honor of running the funeral. Sarah sang and um, Brother Henry accompanied her on guitar and I was able to lead the funeral. And the, the family was just so thankful for just that there, that there was a sense of commitment to that, that hour, that season when they were gravely needing just love and support. And I share that, one, because I wanted to give you the update. But can I tell you, that family is absolutely confident that Patrick is in heaven. They've got such a reassurance. The parents came up to us and said, oh, you've just unlocked us from a season of grief beautiful moment. Can I tell you, that's what family's about. That's what commitment's about. That's what loyalty's about. Can I tell you, they're the things of character that you have to anchor to. Not how well you can prophesy. Not how many people you can go at and evangelize to. Not how many Facebook posts you can post. Not how many amazing, wonderful people you can pray for and go around. But it's about actually where the rubber hits the road. Loyalty. Commitment honoring people, not talking about them behind their backs, not self-appointing your own authority because you have an agenda, but honoring established authority and honoring one another and loving one another. And there's never going to be times when that's perfect, but I want to tell you, they're the things that Jesus counts more important than your gifts, than your opinion. Call people, understand commitment and loyalty. Let's have a look at this last slide as we finish this last scripture. Philippians 3.10. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus Christ. In that hour on the cross, it wasn't about his gifts. Come on now. It wasn't about his power. It wasn't about his anointing. It wasn't about how spiritual he was. It was about his, his commitment, his loyalty. He was called. He could have asked for the angels to pull him down, but he had to stay on mission. Not to be distracted by his own glory or his gifts, but to be anchored to his commitment. Last scripture. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guards them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. What does duplicity mean? Double-mindedness, two-faced, smiles, smiles in front of you, talks about you behind your back. You can prophesy to the nations, but if you're like that, you're not in God's will. Amen. Let's pray. Beautiful Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you'd honor here, honor us here with your presence, Lord. Lord, that you'd let us know that you're for this word and you're around this word. I thank you for your peace right now that surpasses all understanding. Lord, minister to people here today. Lord, strengthen them. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the light that you're shining, that you're unmasking things, you're speaking truths into us. Lord, like good medicine, Father. 
I thank you, God, that you're not superficially committed. I thank you, God, that your agenda isn't just to be showy. I thank you, God, that you don't gossip about us. I thank you, God, that you're loyal, that you're faithful to the very end, Jesus. And Lord, we look to you as our leader, as our example, as our shepherd. And Lord, where we're not aligned to you, Lord, we pray, Father, for a realignment in Jesus' name. Help us, God, to grow as functional men and women of God, to be aligned to your word. Father, where we're out of order, help us to get good order in our lives. In our private world, Lord, bring order in Jesus' name, we pray. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory, Jesus. Amen. Let's give him some praise. Thank you, Lord.